Why do people write fanfiction? Fanfiction arises from a sense of dissatisfaction. I would love for fans to be the narrative frontrunner, so to speak. Imagining Sherlock Holmes as a Greek god, for example. Hello and welcome to the new episode of In a Nutshell, a podcast of Fox in which experts at Radboud University tell us what fascinates them most about their research. My name is Antonia Leise and together we will explore some of the most interesting findings and topics that a hundred years of Radboud University have brought forward. Today's guest is Julia Neugarten. She is a PhD candidate at the Faculty of Arts and we are going to talk about a bit of internet subculture that holds a special place in literary studies. Fanfiction. Welcome, Julia. It's lovely to be here. Before we take a deep dive into the world of fanfiction, here are three facts about this interesting topic. Number one. Archive of Our Own, one of the largest online fanfiction repositories, currently holds more than 12 million creative works by fans from all over the world. Number two. Star Trek was one of the first media texts to inspire a lot of fanfiction. And number three, homoerotic fanfiction is often called Slash. This originates from the slash between the names Kirk and Spock, which fanzines used as a shorthand to label romantic stories about these characters. Of course, fanfiction is maybe not the first thing that comes to mind when you hear higher education literary studies. So how did you come to study this for your, uh, for your PhD, Julia? Uh, when I was a student, when I was doing my master's in literary studies, I was uh, reading everything that my professors put on the syllabus. I was reading War and Peace and I was reading, I don't know, Sylvia Plath and Virginia Woolf and all these sort of canonical very well-respected, very well-known, and very interesting texts. And then I went home, and I would read a lot of fan fiction. And at the same time, at university, I would hear a lot about uh, this idea of ontlezing, so that young people, especially in the Netherlands, are reading less and less and writing less and less and becoming less involved with their mother tongue. And I could see that when I was when I was looking at fan fiction, I could see that the, it, it was mostly young people writing that and, and young people enjoying that and engaging with texts in a very active and, and very critical way. Uh, and I thought that that subculture deserved more academic attention and that it was actually a sign that maybe some of the, the ways that we're teaching literature and the ways that we're, we're engaging with literature in higher education are not connecting with young people. Uh, because there's just also very different ways to engage with them that are very much more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, I'm a very avid fanfiction reader, so I'm very excited about this episode in particular. Uh, but uh, what actually is the definition of fanfiction? Because I think a lot of listeners might not know what we mean with that, actually. Yeah, uh, so it's a complicated question. And I think whenever you formulate a definition, you can also find edge cases and sort of argue with it. But for my research, I'm defining fan fiction as stories that are written by fans of a particular media text uh, with the aim of being read by fans as well. And they should transform something about that media text. So it should not be like an exact rewriting and then uh, circulate on the Internet without the authors making any money. 
All right. That's my definition. Yeah. And which fan fiction do you study specifically for your PhD? My PhD is about fan fiction about Greek myth. Uh, so I have this corpus of a little over 5,000 stories that are all about Greek mythology, mostly Greek gods, but some heroes are in there as well. Uh, there's crossovers with other media properties. So imagining Sherlock Holmes as a Greek god, for example. Uh, it's it's a very it's a very diverse and interesting set of texts, and it's also uh, huge. It's about 29 million words of fan fiction that have been written just on this one platform, the archive of our own, just about this one uh, fan object. Yeah, and just for reference, uh, the entire Harry Potter book series has a little bit over one million words. So this is like 29 Harry Potter book series, essentially. Yeah. On a very uh, already uh, limited uh, type of fan fiction, essentially. So what I think I'm asking myself, and a lot of people might ask themselves as well, what's the motivation behind that? Because you just said it's definitely not commercial. Part of being a fan fiction writer is not doing it for commercial reasons. So what? why do people write fan fiction? Why do they do it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um it's you can usually when you read the stories you can see that there's love for the subject matter that people just want to inhabit a world a little more or explore a character a little more or explore an alternative ending to a story uh so it's usually it is it is the the topic or the story that appeals to the reader but i also think there's a very strong uh community connection between the people who read and write these stories so usually if you're uh, if you're writing a story, you will get some feedback from people and you might make new friends. And it's uh, something that's very uh, socially organized. And then the other thing is that sometimes I think fan fiction arises from a sense of dissatisfaction with an original story. So in the case of the stories that I'm analyzing, you very often see that the uh, the Greek myths don't really center the female perspective and don't really give female characters a lot of agency. And then uh, in fan fiction, this is something that can be critiqued or transformed or, uh, you know, exaggerated to make a point about it not being uh, nice. And and those sort of criticisms are, are very prominent as well. Of course, you could say that fan fiction is a very, well, in that sense, an experimental medium. Um, so could you, for example, say that, uh, you know, 10 years ago I was reading a lot of LGBTQ plus representation in uh, fan fiction already that has just recently arrived in the media, that fans in some way writing fan fiction are also showing where a literary discourse is, is kind of heading in the future? I, I would love for that to be true. I would love I would love for fans to be the narrative front runner, so to speak. Um, but I think... There, there always has to be, in, in mainstream media, there always has to be mainstream appeal. And then uh, a subculture necessarily always responds to that by, um, or not necessarily maybe, but they respond to that by filling in the gaps. And um, I think that the way that, for example, LGBTQ uh, perspectives are now being incorporated in mainstream media more, that's of course fantastic, but it's also financially motivated. Like if there were no audiences shifting to to appreciate those perspectives and 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 buying I don't know theater tickets and merchandise and everything for for those types of stories, then that would not be happening. 
so it's more calculated, I would say. And for fans, it's just what they love to see and what they love to read about and what they want. And and so they can they can sort of fulfill their own desires and and inhib- inhabit their own perspectives and and make their own stories, regardless of whether that would appeal to a mainstream audience and make a bunch of money. So we just talked about that fan fiction is very much experimental, but what do authors of the original pieces actually think about their stories being rewritten and, and re reimagined? I think that very much depends on the author, but it's also changed a little bit over time. So when fan fiction grew in scale with the uh, introduction of the internet, there was a number of... Um, Incidents where authors would uh, call for a cease and desist and fan fiction archives actually went down and um, people were very scared because you don't want to be sued by a big movie studio if you're just some random person writing some fan fiction for fun, right? Uh, that would be terrifying. But then in the, um, in the, I think like 2008 or something, the archive of our own was started and it was actually... Uh, conceived of as a place where fan fiction could be safe, so where any type of fan fiction is allowed, and there's actually also a department that sort of offers legal uh, support. So if you do get a copyright infringement notice, then you could go to them and they would help you because fan fiction, at least in the US, uh, it falls under fair use, so it should be allowed, actually. Uh, I do think that there's also been a shift, and now many contemporary authors feel that it's uh, it's actually lovely and it's like a big compliment and it can also um, increase the the visibility of a certain piece of media and, and grow the audience so they appreciate that and of course um, there's also a lot of authors out there who just enjoy seeing people do creative writing and and imagine other endings for their stories and think it's very fun um, but that hasn't always been the case I would say. Hi, thank you for listening to In a Nutshell. If you are enjoying this episode so far, then make sure to also check out my colleague Yara's episode about the trauma of long COVID. And now back to fan fiction. So we already talked a little bit about uh, that, of course, the fan fiction inherently is based on some some story on some characters that already exist, but it's a deviation from an original story. And I think a big misconception about fan fiction is that it's just the same story over and over and over again. Are there other misconceptions about fan fiction that uh, we should get out of the way once and for all talking about it now? Um, well, I want to I wanna address the misconception that you're describing. I think that's definitely something that people think, that, that fan fiction... Because I just, in in my previous answer, I just said fan fiction is very much also wish fulfillment, right? And there's a little bit of a taboo around that, like that would be uh, uncritical and, and uh, I don't know, uh, emotional and, and then also cliched and boring. Uh, but actually, I think that's that's very wrong. And the um, the way that fan fiction repeats the same stories or the same story components over and over again is... Uh, very original each time because fan communities build a sort of shared frame of reference and the more that frame of reference is shared the more they become able also 
uh, to critique it and to interrogate it. And this repetition can actually be very um, critical and nuanced. And I think that also the the shared familiarity of the source material enables a lot of extra uh, imaginative leaps and and weird changes. And in a in an original story, you have so much explaining to do before you can get to the good, exciting stuff. And fan fiction instead has all of this shared material to start from, uh, so that it can be and it can be surprising and imaginative in very different ways. Yeah, so it can also just focus on a different aspect of a story, so more on the characters rather yeah. than on on a plot, for example. Exactly, and I think that one of the one of the main things I'm seeing in the fan fiction I'm looking at is an emphasis on emotion over story. So lots of I think particularly. Right now, lots of block, block blockbuster stories are are um, plot driven. So there's excitement and there's explosions and there's a villain that we need to defeat and there's you know lots of exciting stuff going on all the time and there's not a lot of narrative space for the characters to reflect on um, how they feel about those developments. So then fan fiction come in comes in and it can ask questions like, so if you were a superhero and you're expected to do uh, what's good for the world all the time, how would you feel? If you were a Greek god and you were immortal and you would have to see uh, mortals die, you know, every 70 years, but in your perspective, that's a very brief period of time, would would you grieve for humanity? How would that impact your your emotional life? And those are questions that most of the stories that fan fiction is based on doesn't really address, but that can be very appealing and very uh, surprising to read the answers to. Yeah, and there is evidently also a huge community that is very interested in those answers and exploring them. They're like big philosophical questions, if you really yeah. boil it down. Um, and what I was very surprised to also learn about fan fiction is that it's so interwined with internet culture, but it has existed for for so many decades before the internet was even a thing. Can you maybe say something yeah. about that? Um, so I, I sort of, in the fun facts that uh, you mentioned, it, it came up that fan fiction very early on was written by Star Trek fans. And uh, of course, it's very difficult to pinpoint an exact starting point because before that there was already, uh, you know, fans writing stories and there was pastiche and there was all sorts of adaptation going on. Uh, but Star Trek fans really uh, developed this culture of, of circulating fanzines. And those are magazines that would uh, be either mailed to your house or you could get them at a convention and they would contain fan fiction and stories. And um, Star Trek, of course, is a, is a story world with lots of different planets and lots of different uh, cultures. And that also is very fruitful for fan fiction because if you want to explore some science fiction concept, then you can just imagine a planet in the Star Trek universe where that happens and then uh, you can go from there. Uh, so there's actually also a bunch of tropes and uh, and ideas that originated in Star Trek and then later developed to uh, other fandoms. And the, the Star Trek fans, of course, they didn't have the internet at the time. They would just uh, copy number a number of uh, uh, zines and then share them amongst their friends and it would be like a very limited edition thing uh, so the, the scope of that and the the scale was very different at the time I would say yeah and especially in recent years fan fiction has now also in an academic world 
gotten much more attention. So the community is is very much growing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's really nice. It's very good to know. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I'm I'm very happy with, and of course that I'm benefiting benefiting from every day uh, to have all these resources at my disposal. Um, but I also think sometimes there can be fans who would appreciate a little less uh, academic and, and mainstream attention. And, and anonymity is still uh, very important to many people in, in fanfiction communities. Yeah. You obviously know fanfiction quite well. Uh, you engaged with fanfiction for years before you started this PhD. Um, but now starting your research, is there something that was really surprising to you? Um, well, when I read fanfiction just as a fan, I would I would read only in a in a small handful of, of fandoms that I was, was very interested in. And uh, now that I became more uh, familiar with all this Greek myth fanfiction, I'm actually surprised to find how difficult it is because I don't have all of the shared uh, subtext and intertext and um, context that you would have if you sort of be entered the fandom in a more organic way. So if you were just really interested in a particular text and you read it like a bunch of times and then you know what all the side characters are named and uh, you've thought about it a lot and you know where a bunch of the emotional gaps are, then you read fan fiction and it immediately sort of slots into place. And when you don't have that background and you don't maybe have that uh, that, that love for it in your heart, it can be a, it can be a bit of a... Um, an interpretive leap to really get a grip of what what these stories are doing. So the the texts are actually more challenging um, as an outsider. And then I'm still only uh, a little bit of an outsider because I do know the platform and um, some of the conventions. Yeah, that's very interesting because usually science is like you need to be very objective, and there you see like that uh, lack of subjectivity almost is. Uh can be a challenge to yeah. overcome. Well, um, we're almost at the end of this podcast. And uh, before uh, I'm going to ask you my final question, I would like to know, is there a book, a movie, or any other source of information that you would like to recommend for interested listeners who now want to know much more about fan fiction? Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a fantastic book by Francesca Coppa, And it's called Folk Tales for the Digital Age, the fan fiction reader. And she's written a bunch of chapters, all of which start with an introduction to a particular fandom and then explain a little bit uh, how that fandom emerged and, and what it's about. And then they go into, um, then, then she introduces a particular story and then the story is also printed in the book. So if you don't have any familiarity with fan fiction but would like to read some, this is a great place to start. Yes, and obviously then the next step is uh, is archive of our own. Yeah, go Naturally. online and find your own stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so what is the final thing that people should always remember about fanfiction? I think it's important to remember that fanfiction is incredibly diverse, that any sense of it being uh, the same over and over again is wrong because there's just too too much variation in it. And also that when fanfiction is, is repetitive then that can also be a strength and, and that rewriting is actually a form of, of criticism and a form of reflection uh, that's very valuable. Well, Julia, thank you so much for sharing your interesting research with us. I very much enjoyed hearing all about fan fiction. Thank you so much. Thank you.